I'm Dennis Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leisman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Chad Peterson. I grew up in a Christian household. I was taught about God. I was taught about Jesus. I made the decision to be baptized. I do remember after being baptized in a pool at 12 or 13, however old I was, I remember thinking that I was going to be a great Christian. My life after that, it looked like anything but the life of a great Christian. My teens, my 20s, I was playing music in rock bands and then coming home smelling like an ashtray and three hours later I'd be playing on the worship team the next morning. You know, I was, I was in situations around people, around girls, doing things I absolutely had no business doing. Come 2019, my wife pulled for me that I had a uh, habitual sexual sin within my marriage for years. I watched things start to crumble right in front of my face knowing that I was responsible for my own sin and suddenly I had a mess that I had made and I had to face the fact that I didn't have a good strong Christian character. I came to the heart of addiction and I got a chance to see see real Christian men not just wrestling with addiction but you know their their own identity. What kept coming up was this idea of submission. And I came to understand that really a problem I had wasn't, wasn't so much a pornography problem as it was a control and pride issue. And there was that step I cruised over early on in my life that I never, ever got right. Uh, I started counseling with a trusted Christian friend and he, he wasn't scared to ask me the tough questions. And it finally got to the point where I, I broke. After I surrendered to Christ, it, it's not been perfect, but it has been a time of growth. I'm so thankful to my wife for her patience and her grace. As, as I slowly grow with spiritual growth, I, I start to understand the process of sanctification and that it's not dependent on me, that this is all Christ. Good morning again, church. Hey, go ahead and get your notes out. And while you're getting your notes out, I just want to remind you of something. In fact, I feel like I've been waiting all week to say this to you. You need Jesus. You need him. Even if you've been walking with him now for 30 years, you need Jesus. But not only do you need Jesus, you need to be like Jesus. Look, living life to the fullest isn't found in the American dream. Living life to the fullest isn't even found in participating in or leaning into the culture that you were brought up in or even raised in. Living life to the fullest isn't even found with the followers you have if you get one of those little blue check marks on social media. Living life to the fullest is found. Your destiny is found when you are conformed to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 said, this is your destiny that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus. That is where life to the full is found, where you're actually like Jesus. So not only do you need Jesus, not only do you need to be like him, but you also need to follow him. Look, I'm not talking about the person in a room yet who hasn't yet trusted Christ, even though that is true for you as well. You need to follow Jesus but I'm talking to the person who's sitting in the room or watching online where you've made the decision to profess Christ. You've trusted Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life. You need to follow him today, in this season, in this moment. You need to follow Jesus. 
In fact, Luke says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus saying to some people who are around him, and he says, look, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man or woman if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Church, daily dying to self is daily coming to life. It's when you're becoming like Jesus and when you're following him. Today we begin uh, the second part of our series called An Open Door. And this part of the series is all about a statement that Jesus made in the gospel of Luke that expresses what we are to do if we are really going to be like him, if we're really going to follow him, because he wants his followers to do the same. How many of you right now would say that the world is just crazy? This seems a bit crazy right now in the world. I would think most people would say that, but can I just say that you were created for a season such as this. God in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in his love, and his grace chose you to be born, to live in this culture, in this season, for such a time as this. You need Jesus, you need to be like him, you need to follow him. And today, as we look at this next part of the series, there are so many people that right now in this world need him as well. In fact, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. And in Luke chapter 19, we're going to look at a familiar story in the Bible about a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, again, how many of you guys have heard this name before? You've heard this name before, Zacchaeus. Okay, I think a lot of people have heard the name before. Uh, my wife actually grew up in a home where there was lots of discipling happening all the time, um, lots of going to church all the time, memorizing scripture, uh, meetings at the church. In fact, her dad was a pastor for a season before he came a, became a teacher later on in life. But he was a pastor, he was in ministry, so they were all the time going to church, all the time praying together, all the time learning those camp songs, those old hymns, those 80s and 90s Christian songs. So she, that was infused in her. So anytime, you know, anytime, especially nowadays, if something from that season, from that time in her life, if she just hears the beginning of something, it just triggers something in her to start singing that song, um, to repeat a memorized verse, because that was the, the whole thing that she was brought up with. Me, not so much. In fact, um, earlier on when we first had, I think it was either our second kid or our first kid, we started to read like these, these little this Bible story books because we wanted our kids to be introduced to these famous stories in the Bible. And so we would have these little picture books that we would read to our kids. And one of the books I was reading one day to one of our kids, but it was just maybe, a, I think, a year or two old, was a story about Zacchaeus. And as I'm reading the story, my wife hears me, I think from another room, and then she comes around the corner and she starts singing a song about Zacchaeus. Now, how many of you guys already know which song I'm talking about that she probably busts? Okay, a lot of people have probably heard this song before. I don't think I'd ever heard that song before, but this is how it went if you don't know the song. You know what, church? I'm not going to sing it. Because I am tired of you guys making fun of my singing. When all I'm trying to do is help you to know God's word, 
to know the Bible and to know some important principles. So I'm not going to sing the song. I'm just going to read it to you, okay? But here's this song that most of you probably know that she busts out in song with about this story, this famous story in the Bible, this guy named Zacchaeus. And this is the way it goes. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I'm already singing it. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house to stay. Again, how many of you guys have heard that song before? You know, that's, yeah, you guys, some of you guys are even singing along. Okay, all of that storytelling and all that terrible singing, just to let you know, whether you've heard this story for the hundredth time or whether it's the first time, God has something for you today. Jesus wasn't simply going to somebody's house. He was on a mission. This guy Zacchaeus didn't climb up into this sycamore tree because he wanted to see some random person. He wanted to see Jesus. And he may not have even known it yet, but he, he knew there was something Jesus had that he needed. So he had to see Jesus. Today, for the follower of Jesus, you still need him. You need to be like him. You need to follow him. If you haven't trusted Jesus yet, you need him. You need to follow him. You need to be like him. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. He who has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You need Jesus. You need to be like him. And you need to follow him. Here's just a couple of observations from this passage that I want to point out that just show how we need to be like Jesus. First thing, write this down. People not like Jesus liked Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. A couple of those observations here. Look again, look again back at verse three. It says that he was seeking, talking about Zacchaeus, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. The crowd there. Now, now, this particular crowd that was following Jesus at the moment 
we don't know the full composition of this crowd because scripture doesn't say. But at times when people were following Jesus, sometimes it was a very small crowd, but sometimes it was a very large crowd, literally of thousands of people following Jesus. Now, yes, sometimes the people in the crowd, they were there because they simply wanted a free meal from him. Sometimes the people in the crowd were there because they simply wanted to see what in the world Jesus was going to do next. Sometimes the crowd that was among him or with him, they were there because they were simply trying to trip him up with either some sort of theological loophole that they saw or ask him a question because they were trying to trap him. Sometimes the crowd was there. The people that were in the crowd, they were sinners, even notorious sinners. But people in these crowds, as they followed Jesus, they knew there was something that they wanted to know more because even people who weren't like Jesus, they liked Jesus. Now, again, back up one more verse and look at verse two. It says, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, if you have a good old analog Bible, I want you to circle the phrase chief, collect, chief tax collector and circle the phrase and was rich. If you have a digital one, just highlight that verse in verse two. Now, a couple notes about tax collectors. Tax collectors were often Jewish people who worked for the local Roman government to collect and to receive taxes for the Roman government. And they were allowed to collect these taxes by whatever means were necessary. And in fact, they were even allowed to co collect additional taxes even above what the Roman government said needed to be collected. So let's say, for example, back in the first century, the tax rate on goods, services, income was 5%. These local tax collectors, they could actually charge the people in the communities that they served, they could charge them like 15%. And they were given authority by the Roman government to charge extra fees. It's kind of like when you order from DoorDash and you thought you were just going to be paying, you know, $12.99 for that Thai chicken meal or whatever you ordered. But then there's that delivery fee, service fee, tech fee. I'm going to take your kid's fee. Like you have all those extra fees that are added on. So this is what the first century tax collectors would do. But see, they were also given the authority to say, look, if you don't pay what we say you owe, they were allowed to intimidate you. They were allowed to even repossess things from you. They were allowed to even throw you in prison your family members in prison, they were allowed to even enslave you if you didn't pay what they said you owed. And most of the times these tax collectors working from the Roman government in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, they were Jewish people who had in essence sold out their own people for money and the gain of power. This is the reason why it says that Zacchaeus was rich. But look, it also notes that he was a chief tax collector, which means he was a lead tax collector. So he was probably very rich because of this system, but he was also probably very hated because of this system. So needless to say, tax collectors weren't necessarily invited to parties and no one wanted to be around them. And one more note about tax collectors. This is so important. If you read throughout the New Testament so many times, you'll see the word tax collector and sinner's Paired together. In fact, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near. 
Luke chapter 5, verse 30, uh, they were asking Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, you know, look, we're all sinners, right? Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. But you know, the Bible says sinners and then calls you out on top of that. You're like extra jacked up, okay? So the Bible says sinners and tax collectors. So needless to say, Zacchaeus was the opposite of Jesus, a sinner. In fact, he was reviled as a tax collector, cheating people, manipulating them, imprisoning them for his own gain and power. But there was something about Jesus. At this point, Jesus' fame and notoriety was spreading all throughout the region. At this point here in Luke chapter 19, Jesus had already been baptized. He had already fed the 5,000. He had already healed people who were paralyzed. He had already given the Sermon on the Mount to thousands of people. He had already declared that he is his promised Messiah that the Jewish people had been looking for. He had already raised Lazarus from the dead saying that he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus lived and talked and walked in a way where people wanted to know more. Zacchaeus didn't just want to see Jesus, he had to see him. And Luke records that Zacchaeus was seeking, which means that he was, he was desperately searching out. He had this desire to search out to see who this Jesus was. You know, Luke also really makes a point to point out that Zacchaeus was actually below average height. And then he had to climb up into this sycamore tree. Now, see, this was actually an undignified move for someone of this status, this chief lead tax collector by the Roman government. I mean, literally, he climbed up in a tree like a child would. And could you imagine if he climbed up in this tree and then fell out in front of the crowd? Like he was risking something, climbing up into this tree, even risking embarrassment. But he had to see Jesus, because people not like Jesus liked Jesus. There was something about him that someone who was the opposite of Jesus wanted to see. They had to seek him, and they had to know more. Church, is there something about you? Do this for me, okay? Turn to the person sitting next to you, and I want you to tell them, look, you are not Jesus, now turn to the person who was your second choice and say, but hey, you're starting to look like him. <laughs> look, I, I, I hope you know, look, if you're sitting in this room and even if you're watching online, look, you are not Jesus, okay? And if you do, the prayer team will love to talk with you after the service is over today. You are not Jesus, but we are called to be like Jesus. There's something about Jesus that was attractive. There was something about Jesus that was inviting Something about Jesus that was different, that people knew they wanted or even that they needed. So is there something about you? Are you living in a way where there's something different about you? Living in alignment with Christ. Living and operating in truth and grace. Letting the fruit of the Spirit grow in you and be evident in your life. 
where someone could even say, look, I can't even necessarily put my finger on it, but there's something different about you. I, I think I want it. I think I might even need it. But see, the hard part is a lot of times when it comes to follower of Jesus, when it comes to people who are not like Jesus, we often respond like some of the people in the crowd did in verse 7. Listen to what Luke records happens in verse 19, verse 7, after Jesus actually calls Zacchaeus. It says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, again, we don't know what the full composition of the crowd was. A lot of times the people who complained about what Jesus did were some of the religious leaders. It may have been some just people who just didn't like the tax collectors. But whatever it was, people in the crowd saw his response to this notorious sinner, and it says that they grumbled, which means to complain or murmur or be displeased. It says that they grumbled that he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, sometimes I, I get it because sometimes people are saying, look, as a follower of Jesus, look, I know what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, where it says, do not be deceived. Again, which means don't believe the lie. Bad company ruins good morals. In other words, bad company corrupts good character. And I've even heard research that says that you are most like the five people who are closest to you. And that is true. But this verse right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, is saying, look, be careful about who you let influence you, especially if they're influencing you away from the gospel. Again, you need Jesus. You need to be like him. You need to follow him. And what did Jesus do? You know, here at Coastal, one of our values that we teach when you go through We Are Coastal is that one of our values is love. And we want to do the most loving thing to whomever it is that God allows to cross our path. So whoever it is, look, we want to do the most loving thing, again, no matter your economic status, no matter your spiritual status, no matter your ethnic background, no matter your political status, no matter what it is, we want to do the most loving thing. Because Jesus himself said, look, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Look, he didn't say love your neighbor if they're already a very mature Christian to love your neighbor as yourself. But instead, Jesus set the example and he had a reputation. Luke chapter 7, verse 34, Luke already described Jesus as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And even as he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, Jesus never compromised who he was. He was full of truth and grace. Church, we are to love people and even just care for them, care for people who are not saved. But we pray for an open door so that we can share the gospel, to do the most loving thing. So the question is for you, look, do you have a reputation? Because even people who were not like Jesus liked Jesus, and we are to be like Jesus. Second thing, write this down. People are not projects, but people need to hear about Jesus. People are not projects, but at some point, they actually need to hear about Jesus. You know, in Luke chapter 19, verses 5 through 6, look again what happens in this part of the story. And it says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down, for I'm going to your house today. So he hurried and came down, and he received Jesus joyfully. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, 
the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Church, Zacchaeus wasn't just a number in the crowd. Jesus calls him by name. It's interesting to note that the name Zacchaeus actually means righteous one. But this Jewish man wasn't living righteously at all. So it's so interesting that the actual righteous one goes and calls him by name. And he invites him to come and go in his house. See, our God has always been about a relationship. Our God is relational and we should do the same. I really don't know when it became a thing to just care about numbers in the church and, just, and, it, and to really just to see people as either a project or a number, but God has always been about bringing people into a relationship. And yes, God does count. I mean, literally has a book in the Bible called Numbers, right? Yes, God does count. And we do as a church as well. But I've heard it said about that, that every number has a name. And every, every name has a story. And every one of those stories, every one of those people, they matter to God. And they should matter to us. So we don't treat people like projects, but out of a heart for caring for the person. We do build relationships with, with sinners and tax collectors. We do build relationships, but at some point we shouldn't hide what it is that Jesus has done for us because we are called to tell people about Jesus just like Jesus did. So through relationships, we don't treat people as if they were some stat, but we do treat people and show them the love that God has for them, that he wants to have them join his family. Zacchaeus had to see Jesus, but it was when he actually heard from him and when he actually met him that there was this sudden, extravagant change in his life. Zacchaeus said, look, four times what I've taken, I'm going to immediately give back. You know, Zacchaeus was a Jewish man, and even though he was a corrupt tax collector, he probably knew what it says in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17, or in Numbers chapter 5, verse 7, that part of the Jewish law involved restitution if you did something wrong against someone and you took possession from them or you robbed them or you defrauded them. In fact, what the Jewish law said is that you had to pay back 100% of what it is that you defrauded someone of, but then there was also a fee that you had to pay back, which was one-fifth. So if you defrauded someone or took something from them, you had to pay back 120% of what you took. So when Zacchaeus meets Jesus... His life has changed. In fact, he's not focusing on the law. He's now focusing on grace. In fact, what he says, I'm going to give back, not 120%, but fourfold, four times what I took. Man, this, this shows a heart that had been radically changed by Christ. It shows that when he changed, that it wasn't just about law anymore or his status or even his faith heritage. It was now about Jesus. He says, I'm going to pay back four to fourfold because at the end of the day, more than anything he had, he needed Christ. Church, people are not projects, but it's about relationships. And it's good to live in a way where people who are not like Jesus, like Jesus, and there needs to be something attractive about your life as well as you love people well. But at some point, 
people actually need to hear about Jesus and they actually need to meet Jesus. That's why one of the things that we want to challenge you as we go over this series for the next couple of weeks is that you would know the core facts of the gospel. In fact, hold your place right there in Luke chapter 19 and jump over the 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul writes one of the clearest explanations of the gospel in the entire New Testament. He says, look, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Again, this good news of Jesus. I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And he's saying, look, I'm writing to your church. Look, remember, you've been justified, just like we talked about last week, that you've been saved from the penalty of sin if you've trusted Jesus, repented of your sin, and believed in the gospel. He says, I preach these things to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and which you are being saved. And again, justification, that you've been freed from the penalty of sin. And he says, you're being saved. That is sanctification. It's a process that God is working in you to help you overcome the power of sin. And he's saying, look, if you hold fast to the word I preached you, unless you believed in vain. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now, notice right here, Paul uses the title that Jesus was given, and that is Christ. You know, Christ isn't Jesus's last name. In fact, the term Christ, it means anointed one. It means Messiah. And Jesus's name, his given name at birth in the original language, like actually comes from the, the Jewish term Joshua, which means the Lord saves. So Jesus Christ, the Lord, God saves. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the savior. So Paul's saying, look, he, he's saying like that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Church, here are the core facts of the gospel. On the bottom of your note sheet there, I want you, you need to write these down. And in fact, if you're in a small group this week, small group leaders, I want to challenge you that you would go through this with the people in your small group as well, because we want everyone to know what the core facts of the gospel are. So we're ready to share the gospel. So here's the core facts of the gospel. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. And Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And people need to repent, believe, and receive. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And then he bodily rose from the dead. And people need to repent, believe, and receive. And in fact, this week too, as you came in, we have these how to share the gospel guides right here. And if you miss it, they're right out in the lobby. But I want every single one of you to take these and to look it over. And inside there too, we have a couple of um, what's called uh, just ways to share the gospel. We have the core facts of the gospel, but also just some of the, the ways people have kind of walked people through understanding the gospel. Whether it's the Romans road or the four spiritual laws or the three circles that we've taught here. But whichever one it is that you either feel most comfortable with or maybe you need to learn again, man, I want to challenge you to really lean into it. Now, now here, the one I'm probably going to teach you the most is the one called the three circles, 
We went over that a few weeks ago, and I'm, spoiler alert, I'm going to teach you about that again next week when you come. But whichever one is most comfortable for you, lean into it, practice it, and be prepared to share the gospel as God leads. Because an opportunity, church, is going to come up for you to share the gospel with someone. In fact, here are opportunities typically come when it comes to sharing the gospel. Uh, an opportunity typically comes up here at church. In fact, our promise to you is that every single week at some point during this service, you are going to hear what the gospel is, that Jesus is God. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And Jesus bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering the grave, conquering death so that we could have eternal life. You're going to hear that every single week. That is our promise to you. You know, so many times when you, depending on the organization or the political party, people try to be sneaky with their agenda. But how many know that everyone has an agenda? So our agenda is clear here at Coastal. We don't hide it. We want to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And that is all about the gospel. So even if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, man, someone invited you here today to hear the gospel because they love you, but they know that sin breaks you. But the truth of the matter is, even today, Jesus can save you. And you can experience life to the full. And you can experience life to the full here on earth, but also for eternity. So at church, we're always going to share the gospel. As you invite people, they're going to hear it every single week. Plus, church, we need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel as well every week. But then also another opportunity that you have to share the gospel comes through relationships. Again, this is your responsibility. It's not your job to save everyone, but God wants to use you to share the gospel with someone that he's placed in your circle. Again, people are not projects. As we follow and serve the Lord, as we also serve people and care for them and pray for them and build relations with them and genuinely love them, there's a reason why you've had that friend for so long. There's a reason why that person that's in your class keeps coming to you with all the challenges that they're facing right now in this season. There's a reason why that family member always calls you when they're experiencing brokenness. Because for some reason, God has placed that person in your circle. As you have a relationship with them, pray for an open door that God may give you an opportunity to share the gospel. But then we also need to be prepared for some Holy Spirit appointments. We need to get ready. Now, church, do, do I think that you need to hold up the line every single time you're at the grocery store because you're sharing the three circles with the cashier and you don't even know their name? No, I, I don't think you need to do that. Again, I think it primarily comes through relationship. Again, there's a reason why you're in that circle, in the relationship with somebody. But at the same time, we need to be ready for those Holy Spirit appointments or opportunities that God brings. For the person who's ready to trust Christ, or even for the person right now who's far from him, who needs to hear the gospel again. A few weeks ago, Pastor Sean, who's our overall senior pastor over all the four different campuses here at Coastal, uh, Pastor Andrew Oates, who's our executive pastor, and myself, we were traveling from South Florida, and we had a tight connection in Charlotte, North Carolina. I mean a tight connection. Our flight was going to land in Charlotte at 3.45 p.m., and then the connecting flight was at 4.15 p.m., 
to fly back to, to Norfolk. And so I never, ever, ever prayed before that a flight was delayed. But as we were heading into the airport, I started to pray, God, would you please delay this flight? And all the time, too, like I, like I knew, like I had this, ba- this mom and this baby sitting next to me that had been kicking me the entire time. I knew once we landed, look, she was going to need a minute to get her stuff together. And again, I wasn't mad at her. I've traveled with kids before. I know how challenging it is as well to get them ready and then to get off the plane. But I knew like we were going to have to really hustle to make this connecting flight. And it wasn't like the terminals right next to each other where the landing flight was and our connecting flight was. We're going to land in terminal A and then our gate was in terminal E. And it wasn't even like E1. It was like E58. (laughs) So I'm praying. I'm saying, God, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done and delay this flight. I said, God, you know, I had this baby next to me with this mom. Lord, you can do all things. God, you're omniscient. You're omnipresent. You're omnipotent. You're all powerful. God, you can delay this flight. You guys remember a few weeks ago when I talked about how God answers prayers and sometimes he says yes. And we all love that, right? When we pray and God says yes, and sometimes he says no, or wait, or my grace is sufficient, or I've already made that clear in my word. This time I think God said no. Not only did he say no, he says, you're going to have to run, buddy. You need some exercise. (laughs) So as soon as the flight lands, man, we are hauling it toward the gate, trying to get there as fast as possible. Even though the Lord knows I can't run, and I don't even like to run. I look up on the signs. They had these little signs that tell you how long it's going to take for you to get there. And it said from our gate to, to E58, it was going to take 18 minutes to get there. I was like, Lord, there ain't no way. So I ran as fast as I could. And somehow Andrew Oates, like if you guys know Andrew Oates, he's, he's probably about this tall. I think he's 6'2". And God blessed him with longer legs. And I think he had some angels carry him. But somehow he makes it on the flight, the connecting flight. But Pastor Sean and I, who are shorter like Zacchaeus, did not make it on the flight. We miss our flight, and then after some um, godly conversations with the, uh, with the airport staff, we're able to get a connecting flight, but we're going to be in the airport for another two hours while we waited. So it's late afternoon now. We've missed lunch, didn't have any lunch, so we decided, hey, let's go in and get, let's just take a moment. We'll get a late lunch, early dinner, and we sat down at this table in the Charlotte airport. Again, I don't know what was going on at that moment. It was in there on a Wednesday afternoon in the Charlotte airport. And we sit down at this table in the food court and this lady comes and sits down at our table. She sits down at the table in church. I am annoyed. (laughs) I mean, this entire, I'm already frustrated at the situation. I'm thinking all I want to do right now is eat my $20 mediocre club chicken sandwich that I just bought and then have a conversation with my pastor about life and ministry. That's all I wanted to do. And this lady sits down at our table. And Pastor Sean, who's so kind, like starts asking her, why is she traveling? And she starts saying, you know, she's traveling from up north, heading back to South Carolina, because her dad had just had a stroke. Her dad had just had a stroke, and there was no one to take care of him. So she traveled up there to be with her dad and to take care of him, because he had no one else. She was also a hospice nurse. She was talking about how hard this season has been coming out of 2020 for her. And I remember thinking, sitting there at that table thinking, God, why is this woman here at this table? Why is she here? And I remember after Pastor Sean asked her all these questions, 
um, and asked her what she was doing. I kept thinking, I hope she doesn't ask us what we do. Which she then said, what do you guys do? And I thought, you know what, Pastor Sean, you better not tell her we're pastors. And he's like, we're pastors. We're two pastors from a church in Virginia. And then in that moment, church, I am so ashamed to admit this. After he said that, I thought, well, now, you know what? Now I'm going to have to tell her about Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't like I, I get to tell her about Jesus. Like, now I'm going to have to tell her about Jesus. But would you know that God is so kind and so gracious to us, even when we're being stupid? Because in that moment, it's, it's almost like God just convicted me and said, how many times have you told the people at your church that, hey, you need to be ready for any opportunity to share the gospel with someone? So I repented, said, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, help me to share the gospel with her. And so we'll say her name is Barbara. And I said, Barbara, you know, um, you've been talking about all the things that you've been going through, and it's a lot. But have you ever heard the gospel? Have you ever heard the good news about Jesus that he, he loves you? And even during a season like this, he wants to help you. But the truth of the matter is that sin breaks all of us. And sin causes brokenness in us and around us. And it pulls us away from God. In fact, we'll spend eternity apart from God. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus, who is God, came into this earth to pay the price for your sins. And then not only that, when he died on the cross, he bodily raised from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death and the grave so that you could experience life. So even during hard seasons, you can get the grace and the help that you need. And Barbara, one day, if you repent of that sin and believe in Jesus, you'll even get to go to heaven and be with him forever. Have you ever heard the gospel? Have you ever trusted Christ? And she said to me, she said, I have done that. It was in high school at a summer camp. I trusted Jesus. But it's been a very long time since I was following him. I said, Barbara, more than anything right now, this is what you need. You need to return to Christ. You need to turn back to him. You, you can't carry all of these things alone. You need the person you can cast all of your cares on. And then even more important, and then even alongside that, you need the church around you to help support you in the season. You still need the gospel, Barbara. So I took some time and I gave her one of our, one of our little invite cards that I keep on me so she can watch online. And I gave her one of the uh, churches of a friend of a friend that I knew was in the South Carolina area that might be close to her that she could possibly check out. But during that moment, she needed to hear the gospel again. But church, my, annoy my annoyance was my pride. But it was humility in sharing the gospel that humbled my heart and hopefully helped this lady to turn back to her relationship with God church, we need to humble ourselves and we need to look around. Who is it that God has literally placed in our circles? Who is it that he's going to literally place in our circle or, hey, at the table that we need to share the gospel with? People are not projects, but we need to help them hear about Jesus and even meet Jesus. Again, as a person that's going to be on the school bus with you, the person that God's going to literally put at your table, man, that person who's been annoying you, who runs at the treadmill, at the gym, who keeps trying to talk to you, it could be an open door. We pray for God to give us these appointments, but we pray that God will give us these relationships so we can help people hear about Jesus and meet Jesus. All right, last one, write this down. Even in the crowd of people, Jesus calls the one. Even in a crowd of people, Jesus calls the one. 
Luke chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. It says, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since he's also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus thought that he was the one who was seeking Jesus. He thought he was the one who was climbing up in this tree to see who Jesus was, but it was Jesus who was seeking him. I'm not sure, again, about the composition of the crowd, but people must have been shocked when Jesus said, look, this guy is the son of Abraham. But see, now he was a son of Abraham in the truest sense of the word because he had believed in the Messiah. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And that day, even in a crowd of people, he saw the one, he saw Zacchaeus. Church, I wanted to ask you a question. Do you remember when you were the one? Do you remember when you were the one who was far from God, who needed his grace, who needed his forgiveness? In a crowd of people, Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Not a bunch of people, but he sees the one. And again, let me just free you from this idea that it's everyone and their mom that somehow you need to save, but who is your one? Who's the one person right now that even as we've been going through this, you've been thinking about is far from God? And he's placed in your circle that you need to be praying for, praying that a door would open for them to either be invited to come to church or for you to share the gospel with them. And as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, I wanted to share with you this one more passage in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, as Jesus is talking, he tells this parable. He tells this parable about how important it is to think about the one In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling, again, complaining about what Jesus was doing after he's going after the one, after he's caring for people who are far from God. They said, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Church, we still need Jesus. We need to be like him, but we need to follow him. We need to do what he has done and to pursue the one. Do you remember when you were the one? But who is your one? Today, as we used to sing one more song, and it's it's Amazing Grace, We're going to sing Amazing Grace, how it's all about the amazing grace that God has given us. But it's the same type of grace that we need to pray for that he would give to somebody else, that he would use us to reach someone else. So on your chair right there are a card and a Sharpie marker. And as we've been going through this, I'm pretty sure there may have been at least one person popping in your mind who's far from God right now, who either needs to hear the gospel again and return to him, or they need to trust Jesus for the first time. Um, We're going to take some time and we're going to write those names down. 
But we as a church in the season, we're going to be praying for those people. And we did this last year, but we're going to do it again. But I want you right now, at least one person right now who's far from God. And then after, as we sing, I want you to come down again, just lay them on these stairs down here, um, lay them on this altar as, as you come down praying that God would open the door again for them to hear the gospel and to turn to Christ. So who is your one that you're going to pray for in this season could come to know Christ, could return to him. And this could be the year that God pursues them. This could be the year that he opens the door for you to share the gospel with them. Not everyone, but one who's at least one person you can write down so we as a church can be praying that God would open a door in this season. And Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness that you show us. God, thank you that you were a friend of these sinners right here. God, thank you, Lord, that you were our friend and God, you called us. And even though, God, we may have thought we were seeking you, Lord, you were seeking us. Thank you, Lord, that you came to seek and save the lost. God, I pray that we would remember, Lord, we still need you. God, we need to be like you. We need to follow you. God, give us opportunities, Lord. Open the door to share the gospel with the people that you literally have placed in our circles or literally at our tables. But in the meantime, God, I pray you help us, Lord, to be called to pray. And I pray, God, you would move in people's lives, move in our lives, and draw people to yourself. God, we know that you, are, you have created us for such a time as this. And we want to be ready to hear your voice and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You write down your names, you bring them down, and you respond as God leads.